0: me, as we open up God's word, let me pray for us. God, you have shown us your glory. And yeah, no one has looked upon you, but you have made yourself known through Christ. God, and through Christ we have beheld your glory, glory as the only son. God, as we open up your word to hear what the Apostle John has to tell us about Christ, God, we pray that our eyes would be opened, our ears would be opened to hear, and God, that our hearts would respond in obedience, in humility, knowing that these words do not come forth or proceed from, a pastor, but they come forth out of your word. So God, to that end, I pray that you would be with me. That I would not say anything that is contradictory to your word, but God, that I would say the things that you are intending to say through this gospel. God, if I do say anything that does not accord with your word, I pray that it would be quickly forgotten. God, first and foremost, that Christ would receive the glory and honor in our lives. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. So, as we've been studying through this Gospel of John, we have traced through the entire first two chapters. We've seen that in the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that that Word was manifest, it was made flesh, and it dwelt with us. This God that no one had been able to see to this point, God has made him known through his Son, Jesus Christ, who is distinct from God, but he is God. He is eternal. He is powerful. He should receive glory because he is God. He has deity. Paul, in the letter to the Colossians, he writes that God was pleased that all of his deity dwelled in Christ. Christ shows us who God is because he is God. As we've seen Christ manifest, as we've seen his incarnation in the flesh, we then see John start to show that many are coming to believe in Jesus. It starts at the end of chapter one. You have two sets of brothers that come and they believe, they follow Christ. If you remember John writes this book, he tells us in chapter 20, we'll get there maybe in a couple years, but he tells us in chapter 20 that the reason he's writing these things is so that you might believe in Christ. And that by believing you might have life. John is writing all of these things to point to Christ that we might believe and have life. continue to see as Bryce opened up chapter 2 to us that Jesus goes and his first miracle was turning the water into wine at this wedding feast in Cana. Jesus' own mother says, come come on, just, you know, do do anything. He says, my time has not yet come. So he's showing bits and pieces of his deity. He's showing these signs and because in response to these signs, it says that people are believing in him. John is going to continue this trend and showing these examples of people who believe in Jesus. Our passage this morning kind of puts the brakes on everything because it gets at what is true belief? So this text serves as a transition between the end of chapter 2 verse 22 where it says that he cleaned out the temple and that many believed in his name that once christ was resurrected and him saying in the midst of the temple that he would tear down the temple and in three days he'd raise it his disciples didn't understand it but at his resurrection his disciples remembered what he said and they believed transition from that to the transition where we'll be next week where jesus has a conversation with a man named nicodemus who's a leader of the pharisees he's a teacher of the law jesus tells him what he needs he doesn't need more works he doesn't need more knowledge about the old testament scripture what he needs is to be changed he needs to be born again by the Spirit. So what's going on in this text? If it's a transition from the temple being cleaned, right? We remember that the point of last week is that Jesus is making a new temple by his body for the pure worship of the triune God. And then next week we'll see him telling Nicodemus he has to be born again to see the kingdom of God. What is this text going to tell us? It's going to tell us that Jesus knows pure faith. Jesus knows belief. And I'll be the first to say, this is a hard passage. I've preached uh, Galatians, which talks about circumcision about every other verse to teenagers and middle schoolers. I've taught psalms to high schoolers and students. Those are difficult things to teach on. But this might be one of the most difficult texts that when you look at it, you wonder what on earth is going on. But we're not left to our own devices. We're given scripture from beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation to figure out what is, what is John talking about. So where the narrative of the cleansing of the temple emphasized Jesus' desire for pure worship, this text will tell us about Jesus' knowledge of pure faith. Jesus' knowledge of pure faith. And when somebody possesses it. So let's get to the text already. John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Known by Jesus. Known by Jesus. And if I could give the overarching theme of what the sermon's going to be about, obviously being known by Jesus, but I want you to know that nobody knows you better than Jesus. Nobody knows you better than Jesus. And I think that that's fleshed out in three different implications. It's fleshed out in that being known by Jesus more than anybody on the planet, it's going to bring conviction right? That being known by Jesus, it brings conviction, but it also brings consequences. This, this text is a weighty text. As we get into the explanation of it, it's weighty. It brings consequences. Being known by Jesus bears eternal weight. And third and finally, being known by Jesus, being known by Jesus more than you're known by anybody else, it brings comfort. It brings comfort. So first, Jesus' knowledge brings conviction. Let's read again. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. When they saw the signs that he was doing. So this is coming immediately after this last text not just in the bible obviously we see that but historically it's coming right after jesus goes up to jerusalem at the time of passover to clean out the temple to cleanse the temple but it says that many believed in him like man this is this is great that's great. Many people believing in Jesus. Like that, for, for a preacher, for somebody who has grown up in the church, if you hear a report of another church that you're, you're seeing salvations and you're seeing people come in in major numbers, you're thinking, oh my goodness. Praise the Lord. And we should do that. But immediately Jesus, or John, continues to give us this narrative. He says, when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. Because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. And he himself knew what was in man. Many believe in him, but Jesus doesn't entrust himself because he knows what is in man. He knows their faith more than they know it. He knows you more than you know it. There are times in my life where I, I come from like this mountaintop experience where I'm just every morning opening up God's Word and just thriving, knowing, man, I can't wait to hear what's going on here. During my prayer, I, I prayed from Psalm, I believe, Psalm 8. says, oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name? And I'm reading that in my quiet time this week. And then I get right on social media. I read, oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? For you have set your glory above the heavens. And yet I go to my phone. I want to know, why do I do that? Paul, likewise, he he says the things that he desires to do, he can't do. And the things that he doesn't want to do are just the things that he's doing. He says, why? I don't know. But Jesus knows. Jesus knows. What does Jesus know that is causing him to be hesitant about their belief? Well, if Jesus knows since Jesus knows here's some things that he knows about these ones who have professed belief in him he knows that at their heart what they are as human beings jeremiah 17:9 read it earlier the heart is infinitely wicked it's desperately sick who can know it Who? Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 10. I, the Lord, know the heart. I search the mind. He knows. He knows those instances where we try and put up vain worship and be seen by others to be glorious or to have this love for God. He knows if we truly do or not. Jeremiah 20, verse 12, O Lord of hosts, who tests the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind. There is nothing hidden from the Lord. There's nothing hidden from the Lord in your life. There's nothing that brings conviction. There are things that come across my mind that I just think, oh heavens. Why? And it causes conviction. It causes me to want to ask forgiveness. It causes me to want to repent and to be made right by Christ. Jesus knows you more than you know yourself. This is a shockingly terrifying reality. Not only does he know, but he sees. He sees. But what is going on here? This word that many believe, yet Jesus does not entrust himself to them. It's the same root word. I never in a million years would have imagined that I would pull a Greek word into a sermon. I always thought, listening as a kid, that was ridiculous. But it's the same root word. It's belief that many believed, but in essence, Jesus doesn't believe their belief. Why doesn't he believe their belief? Because he knows. Amy and I were sitting this, this week for dinner, and Catherine is just like she was earlier during the Psalms, just yelling and talking and, ah, 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 ah. And all of a sudden, she just lets out this, ah. We both look at each other like, what on earth just happened? And Annie said, do you ever just wish you knew what she was thinking? She was communicating? Yes, you do, but you don't. You don't know. I don't know everything there is to know about you. I don't even know everything there is to know about me. But Jesus knows. And for some reason, his belief in their belief, it's non-existent. Think about the implications that that has. You live all of your life acting, acting as if you're a Christian. You read your Bible because everybody knows that's what we're supposed to do. We go to church on Sunday thinking that, well, this is is what Christians do. This is what... People do who believe in Jesus, but every other day of the week, it doesn't really have any impact. Jesus knows when that's a facade or when it's genuine, and he longs for it to be genuine. And we, as we sit here, as I preach, as I've studied, need to be reminded that this is real. This is real for all of us. I told Annie this week that I deleted the Twitter app and Instagram app and Facebook app off my phone. Because you just you get on it and you're like, "Man, this is awful." And I I follow Christian outlets, Christian news sources, pastors, and I still like this is awful. And one specifically was a man who had professed faith in Christ. He was a pastor. He'd written books about how to live a life for Christ, how to date in a Christ honoring way. And this pastor writes this letter saying that he is leaving his wife and leaving his family and leaving the church and leaving the faith and he's now beginning to adopt and hold all of these things of the world more dear than Christ. And everything on social media was I can't believe it. I can't believe it. He's he's this, he's that. We are too. It could just as easily be us who think, man, we believe we believe and yet Jesus doesn't believe our belief what are some of the reasons for this <laughs> this is this is weighty we need to get to why well, one Jesus knows Jesus knows the heart's of men. He knows them perfectly. He knew that Judas was going to betray him from before, even the day that Judas was born. He knew. So what does he know? What what clues do we do we have? First, we see in verse twenty three that there's wrong understanding of this relationship with Christ. There's this wrong relationship. There's this wrong understanding of a relationship with Christ. And it's tied not to who Jesus is, but it's tied to what he does. Verse 23, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. We need to be reminded In this time, there were so many of the Pharisees and just of the Jews that believed that this Messiah was coming as a conquering king. So they knew that if they put their allegiance in or they swore their allegiance to this coming conquering king, that they were going to be on the right side of a new kingdom. That he was going to come and he was going to conquer the Romans who had kept them under oppression. So it would be easy to believe. Man, if I, if I just believe, I'm going to get this. Because of what he's done, I'm going to get a kingdom. Likewise, many will profess faith in Christ because of what they will get. Well, I'm going to get heaven. I'm going to get a kingdom. And praise be to God, if you do trust in Christ, you will get those things. But the primary thing you're going to get. Not only for all of eternity, but right now, you're going to get Jesus. You're going to be in his presence. And that should delight and fill up your soul with joy. That you get to spend time with Jesus, both now, through his word and by his spirit, and in the coming kingdom, if you have faith and true faith in Christ. So, first reason is that their belief was associated in the signs here i'm going to steal a little bit i want you to know i'm stealing a little bit from a pastor who points us to chapter 3 because these these chapter headings if you get a greek bible they don't exist and oftentimes they can they can cause us more trouble than actually help with the flow of the story they can be very helpful but they're not always so helpful. So the first thing is they believe in the signs more than they believe in Christ. Well, how does he point us in chapter 3 to this continuation? He says that Nicodemus is a representation of one who says he believes, but he doesn't believe. John 3, verses 1 through 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you were a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So again, we see a pointing to the signs, but what does he say about Jesus? He He gives him incredible credibility. He says, you are great. You are marvelous. No one can do these things unless God is with him. Well, yes, God is with Jesus. But Jesus is God. There's this wrong association of who Jesus is. He is God. We've seen he is eternal. He's not created. He is the creator. Equal yet distinct from God. So their association faith in the signs over Jesus and their association in his power and authority as someone sent by God or having God with him but not as God. So let me ask you this. Is your faith in Christ more deeply rooted in a love for who he is than it is for the things that he has done for you? the old saying what have you done for me lately pain and suffering causes us to search the innermost part of our being for any kind of foundation that might exist pain and suffering illuminates false faith and that some turn away John writes in his other letters that some have gone out from us, right? These are followers. These are disciples of Christ, yet they turn away. They fall away. Why does that happen? John says, some have gone out from us, but they never were part of us. So if you're a believer sitting in the room and you're wondering, is Sean saying that if you're a Christian, you can lose your salvation? Absolutely not. Wait until we get into John chapter 10 where we see the assurance of everyone whom the Father has given to the Son. He will keep everyone until that day. But what this text is saying is that some who think they're being kept by Jesus are absolutely gone astray. They have no idea what saving faith in Christ is. It is to these that Jesus looks... When asked, what must I do? I've kept the law. I've not murdered. I've not sinned. I've not done this. What must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? He says, give everything. Jesus isn't teaching a works-based faith. What he's doing is he's challenging the faith of this person with the thing that he treasures most dearly. Give it all away. says that that man walks away sad let's not walk away sad if we are questioning if we are asking lord is my faith genuine that should be a prayer as we're sitting in this room as i've been preparing for this lord am, am am i off if i don't know the deepest recesses of my heart but you do lord Help me and praise the Lord that just as John chapter one says that um, to those who did receive him. So Jesus came to those to his own and his own did not receive him. But to those who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God who are not born of flesh or of the will of man, but were born of the spirit. And that same spirit testifies that we are, in fact, children of God. How do you know if you have saving faith? I'm not going to go one by one and say, you're a Christian, and you're a Christian, and you're a Christian. No one on this planet can say that. But there are some things that we can look to in Scripture that will help us see, do I have saving faith or not? First, taking what we're seeing in this text First, you love Jesus for who he is and not what he does. You love Jesus for who he is, not what he does. Who is he? He is God. He is the lamb in our place. He is able to hold us. Secondly, you believe he's not merely sent from God, but he is God. You don't just believe in Him because, well, you'll get a get-out-of-hell-free card. Jesus, later in His ministry, He's teaching, and He's just fed 5,000 with a miracle. Another miracle, imagine that. And He begins to, to teach. And some come to Jesus and say, How can... How can anyone do that? This is a hard saying. And it says that some went away. And he turns to his disciples and turns to Peter specifically and says, Are you guys going to go too? Are you guys going to leave? Peter's response, Where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else would we go? Let our hearts and our Words Say those things too. Lord, where would we go? You hold the words of eternal life. And thirdly and finally, you're going to persevere. That if you are trusting in Christ, you're going to persevere until the end. You're going to continue to trust in Christ. You're going to do this not by your own... Strengthen your own pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. But you're going to do it because the same God who saves is the same God who uh, preserves those who call on his name. Jude proclaims that this is what I want. You are able, Lord, to do this. He is able, Christ is able to hold us until that day. So this knowledge of Christ brings conviction it brings consequences as well it's about right to be moving on to my second point about three minutes till 12 right this knowledge has consequences i want to illustrate this by two biblical stories one good and one bad i want to make sure i get my one good one bat. This consequence is illustrated in these two responses that Jesus gives to their faith. The good that we all long to hear our Savior say on that last day, well done. My good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. We long for that. We long to, on that day, be seen by Christ, our faith being pure, that we love him more than what he's done for us. And we hear our Savior, our King, our one who we have pledged our allegiance, our lives. That's well done. Enter into my rest. So that's that's a good consequence. equally as jarring is a horrific consequence Jesus in Matthew is approached by seemingly believers and to illustrate this Jesus says many will say to me on that day Lord Lord did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do this in your name and that in your name. What are they doing? They're basing this on a sign. On their own work. Many, many will say, Lord, Lord on that day, but Jesus says, Jesus knows you more than you know yourself. It brings conviction and it brings consequences. Now let's remind ourselves where we are in salvation history. Jesus died the death in our place for sinners just like us 2,000 years ago. But he didn't stay dead. Just like he said, destroy the temple. And in three days, I'll raise it up. He was, he rose from the dead, defeating death and Hades. And so for those who trust in him, we know that we are being held by him until the day of judgment, where our, our confession will not be, well, Let me show you, Lord, my resume of the things that I've done. Or let me show you my Master of Divinity degree that I got from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. It's going to be nothing like that. It's going to be, I don't know anything but who I know is Jesus. And for him to say, and I know you, well done, enter into my rest, brings incredible comfort a pastor from New York City says it this way bringing in all of the aspects of Jesus' knowledge of us bringing conviction, consequence and comfort he says this to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial to be known and not loved is our greatest fear But to be fully known and truly loved, well, is a lot like being loved by God. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our own self-righteousness, and it fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. So as you go out from here, I ask that you would pray, Lord, is my faith pure? Is my faith pure? And if it's not, show me that it's not. But Lord, if it is pure faith, remind me of your spirit indwelling me that I can go by his power and do anything. Anything. Jesus knows you. He knows you better than me. He knows you better than yourselves. That brings us conviction, consequence, and comfort if you know Christ. Let's pray.